We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Stender, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. To share your thoughts about this podcast or others, please visit facebook.com slash jcastnetwork. One of the amazing things about Torah is that while it stays the same, we change. And so each time that we uh, encounter these ancient texts, we encounter them anew because we're different people than we were the last time we read it. And so it was this past week uh, that I found myself over and over again at times living through the Parsha. I had my sister, brother-in-law, their three children in our home, along with our three children. Those of you who live in my home know that six children in our home uh, is a little bit tight quarters. Uh, and I saw the reality of this week's Torah portion, a portion of uh, sibling rivalries and quarrels uh, between uh, between family members, uh, often playing out before my eyes. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, the cousins and siblings love playing with each other, they're the best of friends, and also at times the worst of enemies. And I saw the paradigm that's offered in this week's Torah portion playing out a loop before me where there were some children who resorted to brute force to exert their dominance, and some children who used their cunning and their wiles to exert dominance over the others. Sometimes the same child might have played both of those roles, depending on the situation. But I saw how uh, sibling rivalry and uh, family dynamics can often play out like that, uh, can play out uh, between the play of, of brute force and the exertion of one's passions uh, versus cunning calculation, thoughtfulness, and even manipulation. And that's, of course, the dynamic that's at play in the Torah portion this week. We have two brothers, Yaakov and Esau, Jacob and Esau, that both represent either of these paradigms. Esau is described as uh, Ish. Ish Sadeh, so a person, a man of the field who knew how to hunt, and Jacob is Ishtam Yosher Olavo, a simple person or a pure person uh, who uh, dwelt in tents, an indoor kid. Uh, but what the commentaries customarily say about it is that he wasn't just Yosher Olavo, he wasn't just an indoor dweller, he was a person who uh, sat or studying Torah. He would uh, be in the tent of Shem and Heather, two mythic figures from uh, the book of Genesis who are reported to have had a yeshiva or learning in, uh, in this pre-Torah time uh, that uh, all of the best and brightest scholars would go to. That's where Jacob got his education. He would dwell in the uh, tent of Shem and Heather and learn Torah from them. And so we have these two 
true paradigm. We have Aesop, the burly muscle man who liked to go out and hunt, and Jacob, the brainy kid who uh, liked to dwell inside and study all the time. Now, in the portion, it's easy, I think, to identify with Aesop, who is in some ways a tragic figure. He is outsmarted by his brother Jacob. He sells off his birthright and then is tricked out of his blessing a little bit later in the portion. And I think part of the reason that we identify with Aesop by we consider him to be such a tragic figure is one, we are often led to believe that the Torah is telling us a history, it's a snapshot of our past, which it wasn't, and it doesn't. It rather is offering us a myth, a characters who are emblematic of certain traits and values, and we see the interplay between those traits and values in order to learn lessons for our own lives and our own behavior. And so yes, if Aesop is a historical figure that gets cheated in the ways that he does in the Torah portion, it's troubling and calls for some kind of reconciliation or rectification of an injustice. But if these are actually two paradigms of styles of being in the world, ways of being in the world, and the Torah is actually presenting us with Jacob not as a manipulator, but as a hero of the story, and Esau not as a victim, but rather as the villain of the story, then it offers us a different model entirely. And one of the reasons that we're getting to identify with Esau is because we live in a time and place that exalts strength, physical power, and acting out of our passions, rather than contemplation, intellectual process, someone in touch with and aligned with not only their feelings, but other my teacher, Rabbi Brad Artson, in his wonderful book of Torah commentary at the bedside Torah, says that modern America admires someone like Asa. We're given to admire someone like Asa. We distrust the intellectual, someone who thinks too much, who's too sensitive to the feelings of others. We prefer a person who can impose his own will through a show of determination and strength. Someone who doesn't need to plan in advance who can relish the moment and trust his power. We accept the notion that the truest and best expression of who we are lies in the spontaneous release of our feelings. Our feelings should not be subject to control. So the Torah holds up an alternative model for us, a different paradigm, and that's the paradigm of Jacob. Because for the Torah, Robert Artson says, Every aspect of being human, heart, mind, and soul, needs constant training, direction, and restraint. The story of Aesop and Jacob is exactly the story of these two conflicting approaches to becoming human. Take, for example, the story of the heart of the narrative, when Aesop is out 
for a day of hunting, and he comes home famished. Jacob is cooking a nice pot of lentil stew, and Aesop sees that he's making the stew, he's famished, and says, give me some of that red stuff. That's why we call him red, because he wanted the red stuff. So he says, give me some of the red stuff, give me some of that stew. The man of action meets the man of forethought. Aesop comes into the field of hungry, he needs to eat. Jacob has been slowly cooking away, making this pot of stew. After that, the old Aesop demands to be fed. In responding with calculation, Jacob agrees to sell his brother's stew in exchange for his birthday. Now, that seems challenging, troubling to us. But what I think the Torah is showing there is that Jacob lives with one foot in the future. Where Esau acts entirely on impulse. Right? His birthright doesn't satisfy his hunger. Like what stew does. And so that's what he feels, and that's what he acts on. He prioritizes his appetites over his planning for the future. But Jacob, on the other hand, knows that it's better to go a little bit hungry now in order to ensure that you have plenty later. So Jacob uses his mind, weighs the consequences. And ultimately, that's why Jacob is Torah's model for the Jewish people. For us, we are the heirs of Jacob and not the heirs of Asa. Why? Because according to the rabbis of Mishnah, Asa who is born, who is a powerful person, a kodesh Israel, the person who is able to exert self-control. It also says, Asa Kaham, Anomed, Nikol Adam, the person who learns from all different sources, and also in the alternative version of that passage, Ezeru Haram, who's a wise person, Havro'eh et Hanolah. Someone who can see what's yet to come. Not necessarily who can picture the future, but who can gain out what is likely to happen in his or her life. Right? Esau sees what is power, the person who can smash an antelope over the head. What is wisdom? The person who is able to control the situation. Wisdom is acting on one's feelings. But Jacob sees it a different way. Jacob embodies that rabbinic teaching. That power is the ability to dominate the self. Wisdom is the ability to learn and have forethought. There is a great new book out recommended to everybody by a woman named Sarah Horowitz, who was the chief speechwriter for Michelle Obama. She wrote a book called Hear All Law, which is a, a story about how she, as an adult, came back to the Judaism that she had rejected as a child, essentially rejected as a child. And it reads in part like a spiritual autobiography and in part like an introduction or a reintroduction Really extraordinary. And one of the things she says in there is that she can she believes that even though Judaism has a very rich and complex ethical system, 
that governs much of human behavior, there are actually really only two fundamental principles of Jewish ethics. And those are self-restraint and self-transcendence. Now what Judaism teaches us above all is that we are to that we are to dominate, we are to conquer our ego. We are to conquer our impulses. That doesn't mean that our impulses are bad, it doesn't mean that our impulses are wrong, but that we should strive to control them and to utilize them for good purpose. So that doesn't mean don't eat, it just means eat kosher. Sometimes it means don't eat but just for a day in order to serve another end. It doesn't mean don't engage in marital relations. It just means engage in physical pleasure for good purpose, including for the purpose of pleasure. Self-restraint and self-transcendence. That we don't just serve ourselves, that we exist for greater purpose beyond ourselves. And that Jewish ethics not only asks us to dominate our impulses, but also to surpass our desires to serve only our own instincts. And to serve only our own ego. To serve each other. And to stand for something bigger and greater than ourselves. So Rabbi Arson concludes his thinking in this way. He says that even though Jacob's ability to control his own desires, to restrain himself now in order to thrive in the future, is profoundly out of touch with mainstream American values today, it is ironically precisely that trait that lifts a person above the moment and makes the future possible. We just finished today that was meant to be for gratitude and generosity and is so often about the satisfaction of our greatest blood needs and looking at what we don't have and what we most want. Our Torah portion this week to remind us that we are the descendants and disciples of Jacob, a person who, in contradistinction to his twin brother, who serves entirely his own impulses and ego serves himself, Jacob realizes and teaches that we agree with him. And the way to achieve the